Welcome back to the Move Bible Podcast. It's me, Brendan. I'm hosting today, and I'm joined by Nick. How's it going? It's been been a little little bit, but uh, happy to be back on with you. What's going on, man? It has been a minute, but I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about all the West Side Stories, uh, maybe some some Red Rockets as well. I'm excited. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a really busy time, I think, for everyone. But really, in in the world of film, it's been a really busy last little bit. I think we've seen all that kind of fourth quarter late release stuff that everyone wants to check out all the buzzy award stuff it's all kind of coming out all at once now so it, it's really been busy and it's going to be busy for the next few weeks still um what do you think just uh, off the top uh, real quick west side story was it uh, did it uh, live up to the hype for you yeah it turns out that steven spielberg's a good director and he is good at making movies uh no i really i really liked this movie uh, people are over the moon for this movie, and I can, we'll get into why that's the case. And I can certainly understand because there's just like he makes talk over about over a gun, like the coolest action sequence of the year, you know. Um, but yeah, I thought this movie was really cool, and I hadn't seen the original West Side Story, which I assume we'll talk about as well. So I watched both of those this weekend, and um, I it's one of the few kind of like updates that we've seen that I don't hate because I feel like a lot of these are just let's just do the same thing again uh and this movie basically does do the same thing but again but all the little choices it makes just like really enhances the story and um it's just it's just really intelligent and then it shows you don't have to like totally reinvent the wheel to make this like its own thing and it's it's just really terrific I love it a lot yeah, I agree. I think we're really in the same boat here because I also had not seen the original until this past week. So it was, I think, four or five nights ago I watched it. And just really um, first impressions of that original movie is that it might be one of the best looking movies like ever. It's absolutely probably gorgeous. Yeah. The, uh, the the colors really pop at that 1961 uh, edition. Yeah, it's... I, I, when I watched it, it's like, this is like like totally like the best and worst of 1961 cinema yeah i mean it's like the one it's a huge deal it's on tcm all the time you know like it was one of my biggest blind spots as a film fan that i had never seen this movie but you watch it and you can totally see why it won so many awards at the time because yeah like you said the cinematography the production design like the dancing i mean it's some of the best music ever you know it's steven sondheim who just passed it's just all that stuff is just outrageous and then you see Natalie Wood as as a Puerto Rican, which is uh, like outrageously like it's it's like it's like hilarious how racist that is now. You know, it's just and people are bronzed. It's just it's really not a good look. And people who are white are singing about how Latin Americans have no can get no work, and it's just it's really tough. But um, yeah, like some of the like the music, it's like and you have Rita Moreno is just unbelievable in it. One of the best supporting performances in a musical ever. So it's just, it was really interesting to watch that because you can totally see why this was such a big deal and why it continues to be such a big deal. Because all this, I didn't realize that I Feel Pretty was from West Side Story. I guess that just shows how naive Same. I was in all of this. Mm-hmm, me too. Like it, there's just, every, every song is a banger from West Side Story. So it's just, yeah, it was really cool to kind of go back and watch, watch the old one and for all its flaws. Yeah, just kind of want to pick out one of the specific things you mentioned there, which is Rita Mourinho, who is phenomenal in that movie um and just the character of anita is just kind of such an epic supporting uh, supporting character because she she's like the uh, the hype person for maria so she gets to you know be a little bit more boisterous throughout the film and she's just she's got it she's got it figured out you know and and that's kind of she, she's a great character to watch even in the new film i think uh, her character was a standout as well um but yeah rita moreno really owned owned that role and that's why uh, that's why she's as iconic as she is now 60 years later, it's her birthday, I think, this past weekend. Happy 90th. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well, what's the thing about West Side Story is that I think in both iterations that all the supporting characters are far more interesting than what's like the center of the plot. Because you just have all these people just coming off the top rope and then just being really awesome. And then we get back to like a, bl- a pretty bland love story in the first in the first movie then you have Ansel Elgort just doing Ansel Elgort things which is not great in the <laughs> second one but we'll get to that later but it's it's just it's it's really interesting how 
it's such a touchstone of cinema and like the central relationship is not what anyone thinks about when they think of West Side Story. They think of Rita Moreno, they think of the gangs, the Jets, the Sharks, all the fun, colorful characters like that are populating the edges of the frame. It's just, it's fat. It's really like in so many different ways. It's like they don't make that one. Like they don't make movies like that anymore, uh, both for good and for bad, for obvious reasons. But it's just. Yeah, it's really just a fascinating like touchstone of movies. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. Um, yeah, the original film in, in 1961, I think one of the bigger, I guess, gripes that I have about it, um, aside from a lot of the politically insensitive and downright, you know, racist things in the movie, um, is, I think, that main, that main story, uh, that main love story between Maria and Tony, and especially just the way it ends. Uh, you have such a weird weird scenario in the end where you know tony has killed marie's brother but she's still willing to uh uh kind of go to the end of the earth with this guy um that's i don't know it's it's something that you watch the movie you really appreciate it the, the choreography is insane the music's great it's so vibrant but just just the just that kind of central story arc is just such a uh, detractor for me 60 years later i don't know if it was a big deal for people then clearly not it won 10 oscars but it, uh, it it's something that I think makes you scratch your head when you watch this movie, even the new one, uh, because there, there aren't really any changes to that specific plot line. Um, but yeah, what what do you think about that 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 ending? Yeah, it's even more hilarious because like supposedly, I think it's the same in the original, but in the new one, this all takes place in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> so they they fall madly in love with each other, and they're going to go to the end of the earth with each other, and then. Um, Maria's brother dies of Bernardo, and then it's just like, all right, well, we're still going to run away together. It's like, what? Huh? Like, why Why would you do that? But then, you know, that's kind of the, that's the whole Romeo and Juliet of it all, Shakespeare coming into it, where you have to have these faithful lovers and all that, which um, I think makes a lot of sense on the page, but then, yeah, you bring it, like, I don't just, like, I just don't really understand why Tony ever has to kill Bernardo. I feel like you can it just makes way more sense if someone else does it or like he's forced to do something. I don't know. It's just very bizarre that he just like loses it and kills, kills him in both iterations. I it's think just, you, yeah, you, it's really baffling mm-hmm. to me. I think you completely salvage this movie's ending by, um, and I mean, it's funny we're sitting around picking apart, you know, a classic, but I think you salvage yeah. this movie's ending by Tony doesn't end up killing Bernardo. Someone else does, but Tony's there. He's guilty by association of being there. She's going to be mad at him anyways. And have it to get over something. Right. I mean, getting over uh, him killing your brother is kind of unbelievable. Getting over him being involved with people that killed your brother, that's more believable, in my opinion. I think you salvage the ending if, if that's kind of the way they went with it. And I was hoping uh, in this iteration, uh, just this weekend, they would do that. Um, but they didn't. But uh, it's, 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 it's so baffling and it's, it's funny. But it is the way it is. And that is West Side Story. Yeah, it's... And the new one, I was really keying in on because you hear, you hear like rumblings like, oh, they made some changes to the, the script and moved some things around. I'm like, okay, so how are they? Like, like, that's like the biggest issue from the first one. Like, how, are they going to do stuff with that? And Spielberg plays out the tension in that scene really well where you like El Gord's like running away in that scene. Like he gets like his first fight in with Bernardo and then he looks like he's leaving or whatever and he plays it up really well and you're like oh maybe this is gonna go a different way and then it it doesn't in the end and it kind of you know ends basically the same way with like a little bit of a difference you know because Rhea Moreno is in there and she's playing the doc character in this iteration which makes way more sense because that doc character in the original is just like why is this guy here (laughs) he's just here all of a sudden and he's being really nice and helping everybody out it just doesn't really make a lot of sense but you know I think it's just it really is a testament to just how amazing the choreography and the dancing is in West Side Story where even in the new one where it's such amazing movie magic that you get swept away in it and then you don't think about how the relationship at the at the middle of it doesn't really make sense until like hours later we were like wait wait <laughs> this this shouldn't happen yeah. but all the all the dancing was really cool so I think it's it really is just like all the the filmmaking itself is just so outrageous that it overpowers it yeah. Um, did you notice at all, this is just a weird tidbit, but with the original, I watched it on Amazon Prime, MGM channel. Was uh, did they, was there like a six-minute intro for you as well? 
like a six minute yeah you get the whole overture and they have the intermission as well it was fun i yeah it's it always is fun when you see that again you know because it it really it truly is they don't make them like they used to they just don't do that anymore yeah and it's even the intermission did you have an intermission as well yeah (laughs) and yeah like marty scorsese expects you to sit down in your seat the entire time for three hours and 30 minutes of the irishman and then West Side Story is like, no, we'll give the we'll give you the overture, we'll give you intermission. It's great. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's just just different times, man. Different times. Yeah, no kidding. Um, speaking of different times, though, jumping into the Spielberg's remake. Um, when you heard about this, however many months or years ago now, because it has been delayed several times, what was your first uh, first thought about uh, him him doing a musical and him remaking this uh, classic film? It was. I was like, "Oh no, Spielberg! What are you doing? Like, why?" It was. It's funny because even a few weeks ago, when we did our first Oscars pod with the crew, I was just, I, I was against West Side Story. I was like, "I refuse to choose this. This is just. This just seems terrible to me. I just reject this idea." And I was probably. I was super adamant about it, and now I feel like I'm eating crow because I watch this. I watch it now, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Spielberg kind of did it <laughs> in a lot of different ways, but yeah, I was unbelievably skeptical because. You know, it kind of falls into the long line of, you know, we're just, we'll do it again, but a little different of like big blockbuster movies that we've seen over the years, even stuff like Force Awakens, which is not a remake, but it basically is a remake, you know? Yeah. So it just, it soured, it soured me on it. And, you know, Spielberg, he's just, you look through his filmography. I mean, obviously he's been, he's been around. He's Spielberg. He, he can make a decent movie in his sleep at this point. Uh, but he really hasn't made a movie that I've fallen in love with since maybe Catch Me If You Can in 2002. So it kind of felt like this was him just being like, I'm Spielberg. I've changed movies forever. I kind of just want to do what I want to do at this point. Um, so that I, I, when I heard it, I was like, well, I guess we're just paying Spielberg tax for all the great movies that we got over the years. So we, we just have to let him make his $100 million passion project, which is just the same movie again. So, But I'm really happy that I was wrong because his direction is so energetic and he clearly had, him and Tony Kushner clearly had such a different, not a different take, but just a, like a reinvigorated take on this material. Yeah, no, it's, it's nuts watching this movie. Um, even just from the opening scene, all the choreography is insane. And I think they really did match uh, quality-wise, choreography and, and just kind of filmmaking uh, of the original. Um, maybe the magic isn't quite all there because it's a story that's that's that we've seen before. Uh, for you, you've seen that day. But <laughs> for... Uh, <laughs> um, and for me that week. But uh, it, it's it's something that you can't deny the filmmaking is, is pretty out of this world. Uh, there's some shots that he pulls off that are just absolutely nuts. I was like about because it's two and a half hours it's, it's about the same runtime as the first one and um i was probably about an hour and a half in i'm like i gotta go to the washroom real quick but then i'm like you know what i might miss a gorgeous shot and i don't want to go <laughs> so <laughs> just sit there let's watch the movie and uh yeah this this movie's kind of littered with a gorgeous imagery throughout yeah there's there's one scene where i think it's during the um maria song where Ansel Elgort just walks through a puddle and any other like director that doesn't really mean anything. But when you walk through a puddle in a Spielberg movie, all the lights shine off of it and all it's reflecting everywhere and it looks amazing. And it, I don't know, it blew my damn mind watching. It. I was like, Holy shit, how did he do that? And there's the one scene earlier in the, in the movie where he shows uh, Rita Moreno, how clean he wiped the floors and you see his reflection in the floor. And it's like, you know, like, it's a fun like that's not like the most amazing thing you've ever seen but like other directors just don't even try that or don't even think to do that and it's such a cool little magical spin on kind of just a like a boring not a boring scene but like just one of your dialogue scenes in in the middle of uh in between songs like it's just he's just all over the place the camera is always moving it's always exciting and he knows exactly what to shoot and it's just and he all he also just he stays back so you can see everything. You can see all the amazing choreography. It's just, it's amazing. Like as soon as you see the crane shots when it when the movie opens over the rubble of uh, soon to be gentrified in New York, I was just like, wow, this I'm ready. Like um, I put my seatbelt on and just like prepared for whatever he was ready because it's just even that first sequence with the the 
the not like the snapping sequence that's they recreate and it's just totally different where he's like zooming all over the city and just using new technology in ways that they couldn't in 1961 it's just it kind of felt like it was like an action sequence it was just so it was so cool to watch i just i felt i fell in love with so many of the 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 direction direction choices he made yeah it's it's pretty nuts uh the level he was on with this movie and we we spoke before we jumped on how you know for someone like him and just other kind of giants of cinema it's got to be hard to stay motivated or to keep one upping yourself as as your career goes on but i think spielberg who who in the last several years has he's probably hasn't done that he probably hasn't tried to one-up himself or do a new trick in quite a bit i think we've gotten a lot of the I wouldn't say a lot of the same out of him, but I think we've gotten a lot of very, you know, well-made movies with phenomenal casts that are going to win awards because, you know, it's Spielberg, a phenomenal cast and a good cookie cutter picture. But I think with this, this is certainly a sign that he can still, you know, test himself, test his abilities and one-up his abilities. And it was really refreshing to see, uh, to see this movie and just see that, you know, he's still, not that he still got it, he always has it, but that he, he can reinvent um, some of his uh, some of his style and uh, really go for something new. So for me, that that was the great takeaway of this movie. Um, also, want to get into Rachel Zegler, who this is her first film. Um, really good job, really good job. Yeah, she's she's awesome, and she's gonna be in everything. I think she already has. I mean, she's gonna get a lot of offers after this, but I'm pretty sure she's gotten more Disney offers, and I think she's in Shazam too. Yeah, and she's gonna Snow be. White in snow white yeah she's gonna be everywhere and she's she's great and i think i mean for obvious reasons maria isn't ideal in the in the original with uh, natalie wood as a puerto rican it's just a really tough beat even though she's an iconic person in cinema history it's just, it just doesn't work um and also that character is kind of just a non-character where she's just there to sing and love tony who in the original is also pretty bland yeah so there's just not really much going on there. And she is just, yeah, she's she's a revelation. She's so cool. Yeah, I think she adds a lot of charm to the character in this film that, that was definitely lacking in the original. Um, one of the good scenes for me was, uh, it was the night after um, her and Tony uh, sang Tonight Tonight, I think the first time. And it was just her kind of in the morning. Uh, Anita's wanting her to come out, you know, into the kitchen. And she just has to kind of make it look like she you know, actually slept, not slept in her uh, dance gown and such. And I don't know, there's just a lot of charm that she adds to the character. Yeah, um, I loved that scene, by the way. I thought that was so it was such a fun touch. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. Um, good to see Corey Stoll as well in a movie. Love Corey Stoll. Yeah, because, well, I really love, uh, he plays the lieutenant, and that's played by uh, Simon Oakland in the original, who's really good, and he's... I always, when people are, he's always that guy. He's the guy at the end of Psycho who who explains the movie. <laughs> it's like a ter, it's a terrible scene, but I imagine at the time Psycho was just so like crazy that people just didn't know what they watched, yeah. so they had to bring in a really dignified actor like Simon Oakland to explain exactly what just happened. <laughs> so I always really enjoy when he's in. He when he, I watch one of the classic movies he's in, but yeah, Corey Stoll is just he's great. I mean, Spielberg, one of the most underrated things about him is the way he casts his movies. Because a lot of times he's discovering new talent, you know, like Rachel Zegler. And, I mean, the big players in this movie I've never seen before. And now I want to see them in everything. Like, Ariana DeBose, I think, was, like, the one person I saw. I think she was in she was in The Prom mm-hmm. last year, which is a movie that's Hamilton not very well. good. But I thought she was... Yeah, my, yeah, and I thought she was pretty charming in each when she shows up, but I didn't really have a crazy connection to her. And then you have like Mike Feist, who plays Riff. That guy is like unbelievable. Oh my god, I've never seen him before. Really he cool. Is so good. Yeah, I just want to see him in every single movie. And then yeah, you have he... um, David Alvarez, yeah, uh, who plays Bernardo. But yeah, it's just it's outrageous uh, the the performances he gets in his movies from people you've never seen before. Yeah, he he's nuts. Um... Uh, even even riffing the original, um, Russ Tamblin is uh, he's just such a easy character to hate. Um, just just the way he acts, he's such a punk. He's such a such an ass. But um, yeah, this new take on riff, uh, I don't know. He's got this. I mean, he, obviously he's an awful person, but he's got this quality to him that you just can't not watch him. You know, he, 
every move yeah. he makes is, he's, is there's, he's got it. Yeah, there's he's an edge it. there that yeah. it's exciting uh, to watch him interact with people, especially his his interplay with Tony. Um, certainly, uh, certainly fun to watch. Yeah, he's he's one of the, he like as soon as he showed up, I was like, oh, this guy's amazing. I I want to just see him in other things because he is just whatever he's doing. Like it's not he's not like it's not movie star quality. But like I could see him just being like an iconic, like third like character actor for years if he really wanted to because he just he just can't you just can't take your eyes off of him yeah you know whenever he's doing anything he just it seems like all of his choices are so lived in and so natural but he's also just such a awful person <laughs> and this you just can't like he's just man I thought he was I thought he was incredible I just thought he was and same with I thought David Alvarez as Bernardo was great and obviously Ariana DeBose I think is the I think is the big winner here because she is just like outrageously good she's phenomenal so I mean it's just to to, yeah. to take a role up that I mean Rita Moreno I think she won won an Oscar for um you, I mean to bring what she brought to it here in this in this iteration is pretty remarkable I think that yet again the character of Anita is a scene stealer as I mentioned before I think Anita is just such a good supporting character because she's just she she has the qualities um, she she has superb qualities and she's just so much fun to watch. She always it's just so easy for that character to to steal the moment, steal the scene, and that's what's so good about it. And obviously delivered in this movie. Um, one scene that I liked uh, from her in this one and the original was uh, the America song as well. I think uh, that that was really well done. Yeah, one of the things that I love about this were that this. Us remake is it doesn't try to like totally redo everything like you get all the same song i don't think there's a new song in there is there i don't think so no i could be wrong but um so it's just but it's just reorganizing stuff and they do america where it's just instead of i think they're on like on top of their apartment mm-hmm. building in the original but here they're running around the town and it's like it makes so much more sense because it's america it's about everybody and you see they're interacting with all these different people with different walks of life and they're out on the streets dancing with all these different people. It's just, it makes so much more sense for the song and it's also just way more fun and exciting, even though the original is really fun and it's, it's really charming, but this, it's just so dynamic yeah. and you just see, I mean, Ariana Bose, her, her dancing is outrageous. Like she is so good. Uh, but yeah, you just get this, the running through the streets of New York and the camera is swooping all around. It is just, it's just so exciting. I just, I just love those little touches. And even with um, G Officer Krupke, where in the original, it's just in an alleyway. And in this movie, they just they put it in a holding cell. It just makes so much more sense, right? Like for the characters uh, that are there. So it's just, it's not like these crazy decisions, but they're just like, why don't we just try this instead or restage it? And it just, it makes all the difference. Yeah, 100%. Um Yet again, though, I, I must say, because, you know, we've, we've thrown a lot of positives out for the film. I think it's it, it does kind of get bogged down a little by just um, being like there are a lot of changes, a lot of differences. But I mean, watching the original this week and watching this one, I don't take away, you know, a ton of differences other than, you know, it's it's a different it's a different look at it. It's a little it's it's certainly refreshing, but I think a lot of it is more so just respecting the incredible filmmaking at hand. I think even with the original, that that's kind of what what's going on as well. I can't say it's one of my favorite movies of the year this year, but it's it's certainly a treat. Yeah, certain. I I agree with you totally because you have the whole central romance, which doesn't really work. And notice how we really haven't talked uh, talked at all about Ansel Elgort so far, which is just like you know, like he, he well, you can think what you think about his personal life, which is just really just rough. Um, but just him in this movie, I think he's fine. You know, he's definitely, I think the weak, the weak link makes it seem like he's like terrible in the movie, which is, he's not, he's pretty good and he's pretty charming in a lot of the scenes, but he's just, when you have people like Ariana DeBose and, um, Mike Feist just around, around him, it's just, they're, they're just like outmatching him in a lot of the scenes, even though he's doing okay. But yeah, the central romance is kind of weird. And then the ending just in both iterations just kind of falls flat for me because of, what we discussed earlier so it's yeah it's there's definitely that in there and i agree it's not like they didn't like recreate the wheel here you know at, at the end of the day um i do like how they put a finer 
a touch on the gentrification angle of it. I thought that was a really smart sure. angle because before in the original, they're just kind of fighting because it's like, you know, they're different races, so they hate each other, which is, you know, you know that's, that's a good way to start. But I think the like really pinning down on the gentrification of it all and how they're like both people or like all groups, people are here are struggling, I think really weighs in on like kind of the just kind of just like the depressing nature of just everything going on in this movie. Um, I think that's, it was a really smart touch by this film, but yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, there, there was definitely a lot more. Yeah. Thematically, it's certainly, certainly deeper and I think you'd expect it to be, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad this is a thing and I, I hope, uh, I hope it, it stays around over the Christmas holiday at, at the box office. I think it's one of those movies that'll probably take a few weeks. I mean, the holiday period's just great for any movie. It's like a 10 day weekend. So, I mean, I'm sure it's going to get seen. Um, despite, you know, a little bit of a rough start here in its first weekend money wise, but I'm sure this is going to get nominated for a ton of awards in the next few weeks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd be interested to see if it could be one of those where it gets nominated for a bunch, but doesn't win any because it has Dune that'll go up against and all like the production and costume design and all that stuff, which is, I think a really tough contender for it. So I don't know if it would lose in every situation for that, but yeah, you're definitely getting Spielberg as best director. A lot of the technicals, and I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron DeBose gets nominated for Best Supporting Ac- Actress, and maybe um, Rachel Zegler for be- for Best Actress, maybe. Um, Best Actress seems like it's pretty tough this year, so that's probably not going to happen, but I do see this being a huge player. Yeah. It's a Steven Spielberg movie. It's, like It's going to get nominated. I 100% agree. It's going to be one of those... Uh, it's going to pull an Irishman, I think. I think it's going to be one of the big, you know, nominated for a ton and miss out, because you're right, it's, it's going to be going up against Dune for a lot of its... And it doesn't have the original original songs to uh, to kind of carry it in those categories. So, yeah, it's going to be it's definitely going to get represented though. But uh, not sure if it'll take home a ton of hardware. Um, but moving us along from West Side Stories, multiple, uh, we're going to move into kind of completely opposite end of the dollar sign spectrum with uh, um, the indie movie here, Red Rocket from A twenty four, Sean Baker's newest, which I have not seen, but you have seen. So. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Red Rocket? Yeah, Red Rocket is, I guess, the the latest of Sean Baker's explorations into kind of lower class um, sex workers, basically. Um, so this one follows uh, Mikey Mikey Saber, who is an who is a washed up point porn star uh, coming back from LA. He moves moving back to Texas, and it's played by Simon Rex, who also has his own colorful history and people probably saw him in the scary movies. I think he was in three of them. Um, but it's just amazing casting when you deep into, when you dive into his background and it's just really smart, but yeah, he's this washed up guy who's going back to Texas and trying to, um, well, he's basically like the worst person ever. Like he's just a mover and a shaker, but he's such a narcissist and an awful person. So he's, he's, he goes to his, I guess still technically wife. Cause they're not, divorced but they're very estranged and he tries to go back there he's basically like just like i need to like a shower and um to like like figure stuff out like he just came back on the bus and he has a bunch of bruises you don't know where he got those from and that turns into like okay i'm gonna sleep on your couch and i'll help pay rent and you know he just he just weasels his way into everything he's he's like he truly is just like the worst like mover and shaker like he's always trying to like make his way into places and figure stuff out for himself and it's always basically always at the expense of other people's lives um so yeah it's it's really it's the real it's kind of like the interesting like blend that sean baker's been doing recently where it's you cast like one actress or actor that you've maybe seen but then you populate the rest of the characters who are just people that he just noticed out in the world like i think his his uh, Simon Rex's um, wife's mom, that character, I think he just noticed just like she was like in line for a porta potty somewhere. And he was like, Simon Baker or Sean Baker was like, I like you. I want to cast you in my movie. So it's, it's the really, there's a lot of really fun, uh, colorful characters just are like surrounding um, Mikey Saber, who's just, like I said, just a deplorable piece of shit <laughs> as a person. But you know, it's, it's a really layered, um like exploration of of this guy and it's i think sean baker's 
he's he's a very kind of like a like a documentarian in the way he shoots like he doesn't really pass judgment on the characters but he's certainly not like condoning anything they're doing he's just kind of exploring their very troubled ways ways of life so um yeah it's just a it is a it's a often hilarious movie there's one scene in here that made me laugh harder than i can remember at a movie it was just so funny um and sync plays a big part in this movie which is tremendous um it's just there's a lot of um snap zooms onto people's faces and the reactions that he captures through those are just so funny and it's yeah it's this weirdly it's this weirdly endearing portrait of a just a terrible person um and i think it's it's not it's in in that way like i said it's not condoning what he's doing but it's it's like capturing the the absurdity of the life he's living you know and ob- and like sometimes that leads into just full-on comedy um yeah he does some pretty terrible stuff in this movie including courting a a 17 year old girl that he meets at a donut shop which is really tough and that's like kind of like the the kind of the central plot of the story of this movie if this movie has a plot um yeah and he's just he's just really terrible and it's a really interesting exploration of once again like these these lower class people that sean baker is interested in that kind of just don't feel like they have a way and they when what they um kind of go towards as a result of that and i think this movie is also interesting because it takes place during the uh 2016 um republican race so you have like like they'll just be watching like fox news in the background uh they don't really make a big deal of it but you'll see like you'll hear trump talk and stuff like that and it really keys in on like kind of the the play like where um this mikey saber is in like the context of the country and i think there's it's really interesting and there's always like there's like these big factories in the background of where he lives out in the like out in the country in texas and it's this it's this really interesting exploration of capitalism and kind of narcissism and all that so it's yeah there's really not much to spoil about this movie but it is weirdly a great hang even even that this Vikey character is just so terrible it's just like when we talk about more oscars pods like i'm gonna be beating the drum for simon rex as best actor even though that will not happen but he's just he is amazing in this movie so can't recommend this movie enough it's really terrific yeah yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it um i think the expansion will be over the next few weeks and Probably won't go to any of the major chains here, but I'm sure it'll be one of those that hits up the art house cinemas uh, in town. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, so it's it's another kind of uh, I wouldn't say plotless, but you know, it's a lot of vibes. Would you say? Yeah, it's just a you know, it's a slice of life kind of thing. You know, things do come to a head, but it's not really there's no defined structure to it. And yeah, uh, yeah I could definitely understand. You know, like this move, this guy is for as stupidly charming as he is like he's a terrible person so i could understand people being like i just can't hang out with this person for two hours and this movie i think this movie is over two hours it's like two hours and eight minutes or something like that so i could totally understand people not wanting to spend the time with him because i think that's ultimately the point of this movie and kind of like the greater forces that caused this the creation of this person um but uh yeah it's just it is a it's a really good time sean baker you know like He's just, I just like his movies. I don't know what that says about me, but as a person, but I just think, I just like his stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is his first since the Florida Project, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if this was delayed at all, but yeah, it's, it's definitely I was really time. looking forward to it. Yeah. I, I was looking forward to what he would do next. And it seems like A24 is just kind of like, just we'll take you under our wing. You can make whatever you want for us, which is. Which is nice, you know, like there's, you have all the A24 film bros out there, but uh, it's nice when they kind of hitch their wagons to really interesting filmmakers with different viewpoints. So I think he's one of those people. I think he's really good. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'll keep you posted on my thoughts, of course. Uh, Segwaying away. You gotta, you gotta let me know what you think about the scene and you'll, you'll know it when you see it. The scene. Okay. (laughs) Okay. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Can't wait. Um, segueing now just into, um, probably Netflix is one of their more high profile, you know, awards contenders this year. And, and probably also just one of the year's very best films. And that's, uh, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog, which finally dropped on Netflix last week. 
Um, after a couple weeks, you know, making the rounds in, in theaters, a uh, very limited theater run, it's on Netflix. It hit pretty much every festival known to man over the last few months as well. I don't know what their, I think their strategy was just, you know, let's make sure everyone sees this. Uh, I think TIFF, Venice, New York, I think it was pretty much everywhere this uh, festival season. Now it's on Netflix now. Everybody's really got a chance to see it. And not only that, but it has absolutely made a splash on Netflix. It was number one. Um, on Netflix at a point, which is just nuts. A movie like this being number one, I think it certainly has the draw when you see it pop up on the Netflix screen of like, yeah, I could see people clicking on that. But I mean, I just think back to when Netflix uh, did Mank and it was like top 10 for one day and then it was gone. It was like number nine <laughs> on like its second day on, on Netflix and then it was just out of there. And that's a Fincher movie. Like that's a, that's a David Fincher movie. And I mean, yeah, you, you have a movie like this, which uh, Jane Campion is a legend, but it's just so so awesome to see this thing be number one on Netflix. Uh, definitely one of the better signs of uh, you know cinema, quote unquote, that that I've seen in the last few months because it's been bleak at times. Um, I don't know how people thought about this movie, general audience wise. I don't know if maybe they hate it, but I certainly loved it. I think you did too. So I'm excited to jump into the power of the dog. Yeah, it's also one of my favorite movies of the year. It's just, I just miss Jane Campion. I think this is her first movie in 12 years, yeah. which is crazy that she hasn't been able to make a movie. So shout out to Netflix for dropping the bag to let her do her thing. But yeah, I, I'm i equally amazed about how many people are seeing this because when, when I was watching this, I was so enraptured by it, but I could totally see someone watching the first 45 minutes or hour of this and just being like, nothing's happening. What is this? <laughs> you know? Um, but, and I've had conversations with people like, you know, like, like family and friends who like thought the movie was great. And I was so shocked. Like I, it really does, it like it tapped into something. I don't know what it is, but people are watching it and the people, at least that I talked to have really liked it. So I thought that was really super, like super encouraging. I've had a similar, um, similar thing as well. Talking to people who, you know, that I wouldn't expect them to enjoy this and they did quite a bit. So, uh, it's a good sign. And uh, there's just so much going on under the under the surface with this movie. I'll say it's it's very much uh, a read between the lines sort of thing. And I think you're right. The first forty five minutes to an hour. Uh, I mean, there's stuff going on, but you don't really you don't really clue in on it. And I think really it's the second half of this film where everything starts to line up, and you you kind of go for an absolute uh, journey um, with some with some crazy crazy outcomes but uh, yeah i'm just so glad people are seeing this it to me it's it's probably the best directed film of the year because there's all i mean jane campion directed the shit out of this like it is it is nuts there, there's yeah. so many moments it's that, crazy you know it's they're not spoken but it's just the, the looks the the gestures um and a lot of it's just really satisfying as well you leave you leave this movie thinking about it you know more and more as the hours pass i find now i haven't seen it since tiff so it's been three, four months or so, and I do want to watch it again. Um, so I don't remember quite everything, but it it, it it was phenomenal for sure. Yeah, and even in that first hour where technically, like, quote-unquote, nothing's happening, like, I am just, like, I was so glued to the screen because it's amazing performances, and you, it's Cumberbatch just at 11. You have Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith-McPhee, who is awesome in mm. this movie. It's like, it's a, it's a really tough character to pull off and I thought he was sensational but you have those four actors duking it out and you just you're just like like what is what is happening here I'm very unsettled because Johnny Greenwood keeps blaring those strings in my ears and I feel unwell but nothing like it's like you just feel like there's just an entire unease at all times what a you year no what a year Johnny what, Greenwood is having what a year yeah he might get the he might get a double nom right for this and Spencer right yeah, but um, yeah, same with like who, who did that last year? That was uh, um, uh, the guys who did Mank and Salt. yeah, Trent Reznor. Oh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Ross. Why can't I think? I love those. I don't, don't know why I couldn't think of their names, but uh, yeah, he he is. I don't think he's not doing heavy lifting in here because I think Jane Campion like the the shot composition and what she's showing choosing to show you and all the performances are outrageous. But he he's just adding another layer to this where it's just. It is so great. And then he continues to ratchet it up as we get to the second half of this. But yeah, it's just Benedict Cumberbatch, who's a guy who I think I generally people like. 
I think, as an actor, right? I think he's he's really talented. The accent kind of goes in and out sometimes when he tries to do an English accent. But uh, I thought he was really good here, and it worked. Um, but like he is just like, I've never like I've never seen him do anything like this before. I guess that's that's the benefit of working with such a great director like Jane Campion. But he is just and he has such a meaty, interesting part that it's just he is just so good in this. And he steps on screen at the beginning. You're like, oh, okay, he's gonna probably be one best actor you know it's just it's just unbelievable the kind of work he's doing and then jesse plemons is as the stoic brother who uh, is just once again like one of the best actors working Man, and he just continues just to good. work with the he's... best people it's just he's gonna work with marty next and it's just gonna be it's gonna be great he's just uh it's just then kirsten dunce yeah is just always an unbelievable it's just it's wow it's just there's so much stuff i love about here about this seeing the real life uh, married couple Dunstan Plemons, very nice, very nice on-screen chemistry. Yeah, they were, yeah, really good chemistry. <laughs> Especially that there's that that one scene at the um, when they're on the mountaintop, mm-hmm. and he's just like, it's really nice not to feel alone, and your heart just like crumbles because yeah. <laughs> Jesse Plemons is just so good at delivering those like just those really like tear-jerking stoic lines. Like that was just it was just so good. Um, yeah, both of them are just really great throughout this. It's just. It really is just it. It's one you keep coming back to. It's one I've kept coming back to, and I keep encouraging other people to watch it because it's just, it is just, it is a fascinating, really, a really terrific character study. Yeah, it's one of those movies where, uh, um, oh, especially just uh, the shot of the one thing I want to mention real quick: the shots of the of the mountain and the valley, and just the dog as they as they say they have not left my head. Right, mm-hmm. they are still, you know, ingrained in there. Very, very fantastic imagery. Um, yeah, there's just so much to, to chew at with this, with this film. I just love the way it unravels. I mean, it's a movie that, I mean, you don't want to talk too much about the actual plot, but, um, yeah, yeah that's kind of how I feel. Cause I really don't want to say anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> I just want people to watch it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Oh my God. Yeah. Really can't, can't give enough praise to this movie. Certainly one of my favorites of the year. Um, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh my God can't stop talking about this movie it's so good it's so good so i really hope people <laughs> people do keep watching it but i mean to see it be number one like what's your i mean i mean what does that mean to you that's a that's a big deal i cinema's alive my friend <laughs> I, I don't know you know well because it's stuff like that where it's like like everything comes back to the kissing booth but like when the kissing booth three is number one for four weeks and it's just like all right i get it but it's just cool I hope people are getting stuff out of this movie because I think it's just it's so rich and it's it's a western but it's also an anti-western right. and how it kind of unravels uh, like the classic masculinity that is shown in a lot of those movies and um, shout out to Bronco Henry as well he does a really good job <laughs> even though he doesn't come on screen um, Bronco Henry is one yeah, of uh, <laughs> cinema's most uh, uh, prized possessions also a huge uh, question mark you know what's he look like what's he who is this guy? We want to see him. We want to see a Bronco Henry spinoff. <laughs> I, ima- I imagine him like as like John Hamm, you know, mm. just like a really like, or maybe that's totally wrong. That's not who I should have imagined. But it's just I just imagine like a really chiseled guy. Or maybe that's me giving into the Western cliches. I don't know. The memes have been great too. That's when you know a movie really hits. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. The memes are outrageous and a lot of a lot of tightening rope. You know, it's just, it's just fantastic. And I mean, there's a lot of great subtext to this, but when there's a, when the paper, when there's a paper flower that is fingered really hard at the beginning of this movie, you're like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Go my, oh my God, I got it. I got what movie we're in now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's a really perfect blend. It's the kind of movie I really enjoy where I think it's, there's enough really interesting textual stuff going on, like on the surface to keep you really invested. And it is one of those where it is really thematically rich for, you know, like snobs like me who like to just think about these movies at all times. Um, that just, there's just, I think it really blends both. It's like a perfect, like it's really, it's really like awesome just to watch. And then you can really talk about it and sink your teeth into it later. It's just, it's, it's really good. Another reason why Jane Campion is just the best, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just really hope, I hope it leads to people checking out more of her films because she's just, yeah, she's one of the best. Yeah, I watched The Piano a few months ago and uh, Harvey Keitel, 
What a guy. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Keitel, decent actor. He's been he's been in a, he's been in a few films over the yeah, years. Yeah, just a few. Man, that movie as well. Anna Paquin in that movie. Her uh, what? She's like eight in it, eight years old maybe, and she is just so yeah. good. She's hilarious. The Piano is definitely a movie that people should check out. Um, Which just got released on Criterion, I believe, yeah. or is about to be. Yeah. Yeah. Very good movie. Uh, definitely have to check out more of her stuff, though, because as you said, 10 to 12 years since she's made the movie, uh, coming back and doing this, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. what what a, I mean, is there a more epic way to make a return? Dropping a movie like this, that's just a lot of, a lot of fire you're dropping on, uh, on the people. Yeah. That's like... That's kind of like the double-edged sword with Netflix and all of the and all of these streamers, where, you know, like I have to sit through, um, Afterlife of the Party, and like like I'm trying to think of all like terrible Netflix movies that I haven't seen that have popped up most of <laughs> on them. the front page. So. Yeah, so I, like a Red Notice, like you think of all the movies that could have been funded with, with the Red no- Notice money. Like I remember there's a, I think it was like a like a a decider piece that came out where Mike Lee was like, yeah, I can't get funding. Even Netflix won't give me money. And it's like, man, they let, they let red notice happen. And even Mike Lee who can't get a movie made. It's just, man, that is just, that is tough. Um, but then you, you get to one of these where they're giving a really important filmmaker, like a, Probably way too much money, <laughs> honestly. Like they gave how much money to Marty for the Irishman? Yeah. They gave these people way too much money to make whatever they want with little oversight, and it turns into these really, like, immaculate portraits of whatever they choose to decide to explore. So, I don't know. It's kind of like I hate most of this stuff, but then you get this, and then Marty's getting two hundred million from Apple next year, and Marriage Story comes out, and it's just yeah, it's. Yeah, it's made for a lot of really interesting movies. I don't think it would have been made otherwise. So I guess I just kind of have to accept all of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's why you're a kissing booth stand, <laughs> right? You gotta stand. You gotta ride right, for exactly. the end. That's the only reason, you know. It's just I rack up the watches for that. Does Netflix can pay his bills and give more money to Marty for when he makes his seventy fifth movie about the fragility of man? <laughs> so that's <laughs> the Catholic guilt. That's all it is, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I can't wait, though, to, to, to see how this movie does in award season because I think it's going to be one of the ones that's more propelled by, you know, the critics. I think the critics are going to be the ones that try to really give Power of the Dog the lift. Um, it's been doing really well at a lot of critics' bodies. I don't know how it's going to do when you get to the industry stuff in the next few weeks and months, but, uh, yeah, this is one that definitely deserves to be, you know, in the conversation. And uh, I'm sure Jane Campion is going to be in the conversation because she uh, – she did a hell of a job on this movie. Yeah, I, if, I, if I had to say, I, I would think it has a really good chance at best, um, uh, probably best screenplay, best adapted, because I don't really know that that category seems a little weaker. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like, I haven't seen Being, Being the Ricardos yet, but it seems like Not everyone's happening. kind of rejecting that movie yeah. a little, little bit. So, sorry, Sorkin. Um so I, I'm trying to think of, I guess West Side Story would also be in there too. Tony Kushner's reimagining of that script probably, but I would probably, I would probably consider that this one would win over that. Yeah. So it's probably a good front runner there. And I probably, I would imagine Cumberbatch and probably Dunst and Smith and Fee get nominated, right? Yeah, I could probably. see, I could see all three. I, I think I Cumberbatch, like, he's definitely in. I think the other two are, yeah. you know, a little bit of a tougher battle for them, but I mean, Smith McVie 100% deserves uh, some recognition here for, uh, yeah. for a fantastic. I love I love Plemons in this movie, but I think he's just too reserved yeah. to get like awards consideration. Yeah. I think I would, if, in, in a perfect world, I would nominate all four of these people, but I think it's like probably two or three of them. Yeah. In the end. And also, this is what uh, Jesse Plemons is what third or fourth movie this year. Yeah, he just keeps cranking them out. He could just—he just needs to be in everything. He's just one of those actors where it's like fantastic. You can do, you can be an, a ridiculous Nazi in Jungle Cruise, and then you can you can come around and do this, and then you're just you look like you're miserable in Antlers, which is I feel like I'm the only person who saw that movie this I year. I saw it. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm it's uh, he's, I just I love that guy, and I just. He looks like he has amazing taste. He's working with all of the best filmmakers. He made a Charlie Kaufman movie last year. Uh, he's 
he worked in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, you know, Jungle Cruise to get your paycheck yep. so you know you can make more of these movies. So, yeah, Power of the Dog and, yeah, Killer of the Flower Moon. It's great. Yeah, what Just a, more what Jesse a Plemons. It's so It's been so great seeing him rise up as kind of like, uh, kind of one of the heroes of uh, film Twitter, to be honest. People love that guy, man. Jesse Plemons is just uh, yeah, such I a mean, treasure. He's, I mean, it's... I feel like it's almost a cliche at this point, but he really is just the next Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like he's just he's just so varied in his performances. He's he will probably never. I mean, he's got Killers of the Flower Moon, so maybe he's the lead in that, right? Yep. So hopefully he gets more of the performances out of that. But he will most likely always just be the kind of the third banana, and he'll get like twelve best supporting actor noms over the the course of his career, and everyone will love him. And you know, it's just. Um, I just I think he's just such an interesting actor. I just he really just makes so many great choices and yeah he's I mean you see Game Night yeah <laughs> which he's just fucking hilarious he's too good in there. it's like one of the best one of the best comedic performances of the last few years and then you see him in something like Power of the Dog where it's the exact opposite it's just he's just so talented he's just I just want to see him in everything yeah what a king um, but with that that is that is it for this week's edition of the Movie Bible Podcast it was great to be back. Um, obviously, the next few weeks are going to be absolutely insane. We have uh, next weekend, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home hits theaters. And, uh, you know, it's going to do some business. Going to probably make a couple bucks. Yeah, it'll be all right. We'll have to, we'll have to put, a, we'll have to, uh, Colin might go in the cardiac arrest talking about that movie. We'll see. <laughs> uh, he's very excited for that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I got Nightmare Alley, too. Yeah. It's new, it's, new Gary Del Toro, very excited. For him. And even uh, Don't Look Up's uh, been in theaters now for the last couple of days, and it's going to be on Netflix by Christmas Eve. So, we're going to have a, a lot to talk about. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the discourse for Don't Look Up already. I can already tell. Yeah. But, uh, I'll be talking about it yeah. in one way or another, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun, and that's that's what this is all about. And uh, we'll, we'll have uh, no doubt a ton to talk about over the next few weeks. But as always, thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. For sure. And uh, we'll be back next week, all things movies. You'll be able to check out all our content on our YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the rest. We got it everywhere. But most importantly, check out our.com, moviebubble.com, and we will be back. Uh, talking all things movies. Bye.